Welcome into episode 50 of the Gunburners podcast. Chase Thornton, Lester Mitchell, Jeremy Law. Guys, 50 podcasts, man. And, and, you know, we try to do one per week. I think Iron Bowl last year we did two because uh, we had Carter McConnell on as a guest, try to get a, a, a Barner on the show and get, get a, you know, a view from, from his side and their, their perspective over there. But other than that, you know, we try to do one per week. There were some weeks where – you know, it, it kind of slipped by us. Um, you know, as you get older, you get busy. You get, you know, you have family stuff going on or whatever the case may be. So we get, we didn't get to do one every single week. But for the most part, you know, 50 is a, a pretty special number. And here we are bringing you our 50th podcast of the night. Um, I wish I could tell you that, you know, it's going to be a happy podcast because I think that's, a, that's an accomplishment for us. And our listenership has, has increased as we've gone along. And that's why we made it to number 50, because, I mean, if nobody listened to the show, we're, we're not going to record the podcast. And uh, and so, you know, we, we have people interested in the show and they ask us about it, ask us questions. And so we're going to keep recording for you guys. We reached number 50. Like I said, I wish it could be a, a happy podcast, but it's not at least for the first probably 40 percent of the podcast as we, as we talk about the number two Alabama Crimson Tide um, struggling at home with the four and four LSU Tigers and, uh, you know, a depleted LSU team, one that we all thought would win at least by 28 or more. I know we picked over the number, which is 28 and a half. J-Law picked right at 28. So he technically did, you know, he went under the spread. He would have won some money, but nobody expected Alabama to squeak by LSU by six points, 20 to 14. And then LSU have a chance in the last play of the game to win it, you know, a chance to throw a Hail Mary you know, throw up a prayer and, and who knows. But, uh, you know, then we'll talk about some basketball later. That'll, that'll uh, you know, increase the tone a little bit and, and bring a little bit more joy to our listenership. But, uh, Lester, man, you know, you, you guys are have been harder on this team than I have. I'm not saying that I've been easy on them, but uh, y'all have been harder on them um, than I have. And he, this is just another week where – you know, you just get a lackluster performance from Alabama. So I'm going to turn it over to you, man, whatever you want to talk about. It, it can be Chris Owens sucking at right tackle and sucking at center. Um, it can be, you know, lack of Trayshawn holding snaps. Uh, we continue to see Slade Bolden. It could be um, lack of tight end play in the passing game. 19 has been non-existent. 81 can't catch a cold. Um, so I'm going to turn it over to you. Um. Yeah. First of all, yeah, definitely appreciate everybody who listens. Um, Saturday just did not go how anybody envisioned. Um, I don't know, man. Dang is for the past decade, you know, Bama LSU was you know one of the biggest games on the of the year, one of the biggest games on the schedule, a game that you 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 circle, a game that's always fun. Um I've always enjoyed the couple times with Brian Dini where I've been to the LSU game. I've had the pleasure of going to Baton Rouge, I think, twice. And it's always a great time in that atmosphere. But that shit sucked Saturday. Like, that wasn't fun. Like, it wasn't it wasn't exciting. And, and my focus right now is, you know, damn the 18 and 23-year-olds. Fuck them. I mean, they are who they are at this point. I don't care. But we need to talk about the people who are getting paid to guide these young men because something ain't right. It ain't, it ain't, it ain't happening. Something ain't, ain't clicking. And for you to come out and lay this type of performance coming off a bye week, a bye week, a week where you had nothing to do, you didn't have an opponent to focus on, you had all this time to get the crap right that's been going on the first half of the year, and the same stuff is still happening. It's still happening. Coverages are being busted. O-line sucks. Now, I mean, that may be a talent issue. I'm not going to bag on the 18 and 23-year-olds. Coverages are, are, are still being busted. You know, stuff ain't going right. What's the deal? I, I mean, clear, I mean, well, they're getting paid now, but 
you got people making millions of dollars and you can't get people, you can't get these kids to line up where a simple coverage doesn't bust. What is going, why is that happening? Um, I know in, in, in the past couple of years on the podcast, I tell people all the time, I do not care about the regular season. Bama should hopefully not coast, but win every game, the, the things that you should focus on, the teams that you should focus on, the games that you should focus on, the SC championship and the playoffs. That's it. Three games. Because you know what? You're going to face a team who probably have just as much talent as you are. And those things are going to give you some trouble. And right now, Bama just does not look like that. Now, of course, you can't compare teams of the past to this team or whatever, yada, 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 whatever, whatever. But there should not be this visible of a drop-off from one year to the next. I don't care who left. I don't care who got drafted. This Point blank, simple. This should not happen. It should not. It shouldn't look like this. You can have a drop in talent. That's okay. But the product on the field should not look how it looks. It's worrying. It's frustrating. Because we all know it's coming. We all know it's coming. You got the Iron Bowl. You got Georgia in the SC Championship. And I can't even say, I can't even say I'm looking forward to the playoff right now. Because Georgia might beat that ass if they can't even cover a freaking go route, put whatever, whatever. And Georgia sucked. The quarterback's not good. The offense, this defense should be the feast on Georgia. But, man, if you got guys running free, it don't matter. Any Tom, Dick, or Harry can hit somebody running wide open on the field. And thank God Max Johnson didn't do that uh, Saturday night. Yeah, and and defense, other than, you know, those couple of plays on the first drive, you know, that they played well. LSU's offensive line, not great, of course. Dallas Turner had a big night with two sacks. Will Anderson is the best defensive player in, uh, in college football. If you want to say, you know, you can go argue with your mother. Uh, Jordan Davis can kiss my ass. Uh, he's not doing near the stuff that Will Anderson's doing. And he's, he's – and – but, you know, linebacker play has been a little bit better over the last couple of weeks. But, yeah, like you said, Lester, I mean, the secondary, you really don't have any excuse. I, I mean, I don't really understand um, what the issue is. And when you're a safety, shouldn't there be some kind of mentality as, or mindset as, you know, when in doubt, drop? <laughs> I mean, that's the thing, like – our safeties, when they bust covers, they're just they're running up on crossing routes, and that's not their zone. Buddy, if you want to give up 15, 20 yards on a crossing route, that's okay. That's going to happen. It's a spread error of college football. You're going to give up 15 to 25, even 30-yard plays. You cannot come up and try to take the crossing route and give up the 65-yard touchdown pass over your head. That's my problem is – if you're going to bust, bust deep. Does that make sense? And and so if you if you're going to if you're going to guess, if you have no idea and you're going to guess, guess deep. Stop, you know, and that's that's our problem is when we bust, we're busting, you know, anywhere from the 15 to 25 yard range. Meanwhile, guys are running behind us wide ass open. And that's what I don't understand. Is that when in doubt, get back, you know, back up. And, and it seems like it's it's the opposite right now and that's that's the issue that I have with the secondary is, and to me, that's just football IQ. You know, I mean, I'm not saying that a coach shouldn't have to tell you that because I believe you should. Like you said, Lester, if you're getting paid millions of dollars, somebody needs to tell them, hey, if you're going to bust, you know, start running backwards. You know, don't, don't, don't come up and then let somebody throw it over your head, especially if you're a safety. But, um, you know, O-line problems continue to be there. Um it's probably you could say the worst game that Alabama has played up front all season, even in the loss to Texas A&M, running for six yards. LSU comes in ranked 113th in the country out of 130 teams in rushing defense, and Alabama runs for six yards. Now, you can give me all the bullshit you want about how LSU ran a different scheme. I don't care. This is – you know, at some point, it's got to be big on big. You know, our guys are better than your guys. You, I mean, this is a depleted defense. Their entire secondary was out, um, and they're just, they're just not good against the run. How all of a sudden, when they, you know, like let's just say Alabama has the bye week, they don't. And your main issue 
your main, your top two issues, your main issue on offense has got to be the offensive line. You should have been working on it for two weeks. There was no changes. I know Dalcor got hurt. It shouldn't have mattered. You slide Owens to center. There's a huge hole in the middle now. So just talk about the offensive line and the lack of performance there Saturday. Yeah, I was going to say, man, we could talk about this defense. And the, the I, they didn't bust many plays. They busted two. One of them, Max Johnson, didn't see. The other one, Henry Toto, didn't cover out of the backfield for a touchdown. That defense played lights out. LSU had 70 yards in the first half. The, our offense left our defense out to dry the second half. Our last five drives, Alabama had four, three and outs. And let's just get back, man. I think Lester's right. Dude, this ain't about 18 to 23-year-olds to me. This is about, man, who the hell in our coaching staff is going to put their foot down and say, this isn't the standard? Is it going to be Nick Saban? And is at this point, you know, is it fixable? Is it, is it too late to say, you know what, we probably should have put J.C. Latham at right tackle to start the year? Is it too late to say maybe Damian George should have had the first eight starts at right tackle as opposed to, to Chris Owens? Uh, but to me, man, I don't care if they if LSU ran a, a, a different scheme. You know what? The, you know what? I, if I was any OC in the country and I played Alabama, my scheme would be bring seven because they can't touch you. They have no idea how to communicate up front. I don't know what Alabama's offensive identity is after nine ball games. I don't know what they want to be as an offensive line. I do know they don't want to touch anybody. I know they have a Heisman. They're still the betting favorite Heisman quarterback, and they can't give him any time when he does have time to, to deliver a pass. Little shit asses like Cameron Latu drop the ball. I mean, come on, dude. You know what the first play of the game is going to be for two damn weeks. 14 damn days, Cameron Latu, you know this ball is coming to you. And the guy ain't even close to you. You didn't alligator arm it. You just freaking dropped it, which sets this defense back. And then, I mean, sets the offense back. And then you come out and you just can't block up front. And I know Jalcourt goes out on the first drive. But, I mean, at this point, guys, Chris Owens, guard, tackle, center, tight end, wide receiver, quarterback, running back, I don't care where you put him on the field. He might be the worst player on the roster at that position if you put him on the field at that position right now. The guy's horrible. Something's got to change. Nick Saban's telling us now the backup option is center Seth McLaughlin. I don't even know who that is. Who is that? I don't know. But Damian George should still be the right tackle because I think he did better than Chris Owens would have done even if Dalcourt was still a center. Man, I, I, to me, it's just like what what is Doug Marone and what is Bill O'Brien, what have those two guys done to improve it? If you have a problem, fix it. If you have a problem, mask it. They're not even doing anything to fix either of those two issues. And and why is Slade Bolden still playing, guys? Just, just answer that question for me. Dude, he's running circles around B-Rob and Bryce Young. Defense isn't paying attention to him. They're watching him run around. They don't care. Alabama's running two-man routes into a seven-man blitz, and when you don't have time for either of those two guys to get open, you're not blocking anybody. To me, the Saturday was an absolute disaster. I don't care what LSU was doing differently. Um, you, you should go up, line up, and beat those guys because they had like three starters left off their opening day defense. It's embarrassing. And I know Chase laughs at me because I said Bill O'Brien should have been fired that night. Or I was – I was I think 75% of the fan base would have loved to have gotten an ESPN notification Sunday at noon saying that uh, Bill O'Brien's going out of Tuscaloosa and Alabama's going to try to find a way to make it work without him. I, I, don't, I don't know if the guy can get the job done. Do y'all think he can get the job done? Because well, I'm not sure. It's it's the fact that, n- number one, I think Saban's a little gun-shy when it comes to that because of 2016 and what Lane Kiffin did to him when he had to cut him loose before the natty, turn it over to Sart, didn't have a lot of time to prepare. So, you know, if you fire him now – and, and, and I, dude, I agree with y'all. I, he has not been a good play caller. He's had certain plays – like, like we were talking about earlier this week, his first – his opening drive script has been good. Um and it didn't work this week, but I still think it was <clears> – <throat> I still I still think it was well-scripted. But after that, every once in a while, you'd be like, damn, that, that's a good play call. Like, where, where is that? That's a good play call. Then the next play is a dive between the tackles and, and for a half a yard, like <laughs> behind Chris Owens and Javion Cohen, who's a finesse player. He's not, he's not a power player. He's not a power blocker. Um, so I, I completely agree with you all that he's been um, subpar. He, he's been – um, overrated, so to speak, but you know, you fire him now. Who's going to call plays? You're going to turn it over to Holman Wiggins, who's never called plays before. Um, 
I don't. I mean, it's not going to be Doug Marone. I don't know who else it but would be. My my thing, guys, is you let you have Sark's playbook on the shelf. <laughs> I mean, just have an analyst go back and look at if, if second and five. This is what Sark did last year. Okay, this is what we're doing. Yeah, like here's every play Sark ran on second and five. And you know, I wish it, I wish it I was mean, that easy. I mean, I wish it was that easy. But I mean, we all know it's more to it than that because teams are going to throw something different at you every game, and especially every year. You know, what LSU ran this this past week was not what they ran last year or ever, really, all season. Um, but the lack of adjustment to it is is bad. But you know. No, number one, you can't you can't fire him because you have nobody else called the dang plays, and then you got to go play New Mexico State, and then you got to play Arkansas at home, then you got to go to Auburn, then you got to play Georgia. So it's not an easy road. Um, if you were gonna do it, you would have to do it before the uh, or after the A and M game when you had well, like Mississippi State, and then Tennessee, then the Bowie, then LSU. That would have been a, a, the best stretch to do it. But it didn't happen, so you're stuck with him now. So all, I, I understand that 75% of the fans want to fire him. That's fine. Um, but it's not going to happen. So you're going to have to roll with him um, as much as we dislike it. Uh, because, yeah, like I said, Saban's also thinks he's a little gun-shy about that 26 national championship game because, dude, that was in doubt. That natty was in the bag. And then Sarver's doing a great job. Bo Scarborough breaks his leg. And then Clemson comes back and beats us. Um, Jalen was like 13 out of 31 passing. But anyway, uh, and then, you know, same thing with Pete Golding. For those from the fire Pete Golding train, same thing. Who's going to call the defense? You just – you can't do it. And like I told you all earlier, if Alabama's five and three or four and four, you can afford to fire a coach. Like just like just like Florida firing Todd Grantham, you know, after giving up 40 points to South Carolina, they're four and five or whatever, five and four, whatever they are. Their season's a wash. You know, if they make a bowl game, yay. If they don't, who cares? Um, nobody's going to go to their bowl game anyway they had higher expectations than that. Nobody's going to the Music City Bowl if you're a Florida fan. Um, so you can afford to fire a coordinator then because what's the matter? And as much as – as bad as this Alabama team has looked, what's crazy is that there's only one team in the country that can beat them. And, you know, like, like, like we've been saying – if I give you $100 to bet and I line you up on a neutral site and I say, hey, okay, Alabama versus Ohio State, one game, college football playoff, who are you taking? You're not going to put your money on Ohio State. You're not going to put it on Oregon or Michigan State or Cincinnati or Michigan. That's just how it is. And as bad as this – I think Colin Cowherd tweeted this and y'all sent it to me. Um, as bad as this Alabama team is, they're still the second-best team in the country. And I think it's glaringly obvious. And I know they didn't have a great game Saturday, but I still think that – you know, maybe not Saturday they beat Ohio State or Oregon, but, you know, overall, all season, I think they've been the uh, – because, I mean, dude, Ohio State had a scare against Nebraska this week. Uh, I think they pulled away at the end, but that game was close for a long time. Nebraska is one of the worst teams in the country. Um, so, you know, Lester, you know, we, we've hit on the O-line. We've hit on the play call and all this stuff. Receiver is another position. J-Law touched on it, but I want to I want to delve into it a little bit more. Slade Bolden, uh, you know, he's doing he, – most of the motions go through Slade, which is putrid. It's terrible. It's a terrible offensive game plan whenever you have Slade Bolden as your main motion guy. Maybe he don't want to get Jameson tired. I don't know. But, Lester, there was one play on Royda Williams, uh, longest run of the night, by the way. Oh, and he needs more carries, by the way, and he needs more receptions. But we'll get into that in a little bit. Um, on his his seven yard run, which only got two damn carries, on his seven yard run that he had, you had he was on the left side of Bryce in the gun, right? Jameson came from the left side in motion, and then start, once he got to the right of Bryce, he circled and went behind Bryce. A lot of what Devonta Smith did last year. Go back and watch that play and watch the linebackers move because they respect the motion. You have to respect that guy because he's a game breaker, right? And so when your linebackers start moving, and then once he went back in motion to the left, they handed it off to Roy Dell to the right. And I'm like, that's a great play call. Where has this shit been? You saw that all the time last year with Sark. And then Bill O'Brien does it like once or twice a game. You're like, dude, if it works, why are you not going back to it? You can do so much off of that play. You can run that ball to the right like they did. Uh, you can run a zone and run Bryce. You can throw it down the flat to Jameson. You can throw an RPO slant. There's so much that opens up when you motion – a game breaker. Go back and watch that play. But Lester, you know, with Slade Bolden out there, you got Trayshawn Holden. He's tweeting his frustration. 
Uh, Jojo Whirl, you know, he played a little – I think he played more than Treshawn Holden on Saturday. So, I mean, any idea to what's going on and, and how does it get fixed? I don't know. I think I texted y'all that I think Bill O'Brien has the personality of a stapler, and he probably does. And that's exactly how his play calling is. It's not fun. It's not exciting. And if you do your job, if you use the application right, it'll work, right? You squeeze a little stapler, it punches a hole to it, put a little metal sling in it. It works. That is the most boring thing you can ever do in any office setting, is staple a piece of paper together. And that's what this office is doing. Technically, if you block that guy, if you run this route, you should be open. The quarterback should throw the ball, complete the ball. The offense line should block. You should get such and such yards when you run the ball. Fine. You get the yards that you're supposed to get. That is the easiest crap to defend. That is boring. Nobody worries about that. I think, like I told you, the defensive coordinator at Demopolis High School would not be afraid to face Bill O'Brien. It's the same generic crap. And 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 then on top of that, on top of it, not only is it the same generic crap, you don't have the horses that you had last year. You don't have a Heisman Trophy running back. I mean, wide receiver. You don't have a you don't have Mac Jones. You don't have other five-star stud first-round receivers on the field at the same time. And here comes Bill O'Brien running this generic crap. You're not helping the team succeed. You're not doing anything special, anything that puts worry in anybody's eyes. Because clearly the players aren't doing it. And then here you are with this crap. It's 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 not he's not it's not it's why is it hard? Why is he making it hard? This should not be hard. You have a Ferrari and you're putting 87 octane, the same crap I put in my 04 Honda Accord hey. in a Ferrari, and it ain't working. <laughs> it ain't work. It's not gonna work. It's not going to work. It is not designed to work that way. It ain't gonna do. It's not gonna do it. That Ferrari will spit and sputter all the way till you can get it fixed. And fixing it is a new offensive coordinator, and Saban ain't worried about doing that right now. So until he gets it fixed, until he pulls that shitty-ass gas out of it and puts some high-octane fluid in there, it's going to spit and sputter all next season, all until for the end of this season. And, and we just got to deal with it. We got to deal with it. Can't even listen to the radio because the car is running so freaking bad. You, I mean, it's just – it's. Just, I don't understand. I don't get it. How can you watch the past decade of Alabama football? But yeah, I'm about to go on some affirmation. I'm about to put the only white guy in the team and run him in motion. Nobody even cares about Slade at all. So I, I, it's, I don't, I don't, it's, it's frustrating, dog. I can't, I can't come up with enough bad analogies to say how bad of a job Bill O'Brien is doing. Yeah, it's like, you know, he, last year with – the talent that Alabama had on offense, Bill O'Brien's offense probably would have worked. You know, you got a big, powerful offensive line. They pretty much do what they want. Bill O'Brien could have won the Natty last year with that team. But now this year with this team and this talent, you definitely need Sark's playbook. And, uh, I mean, Lester, dude, Slade Bolden, J-Law, Slade Bolden, third and two. Are we going to talk about that play? Third and two? Yeah, that that was the – that was when I – threw in the towel and said, dude, this shit is over. I'm done watching this. I stood up, yelled tons of expletives at my dad's lake house, and he told me that that is a violation of subdivision rules that I'm going to have to quiet down. But I stood up and said, dude, this is, this is the final straw. I have seen enough. Heisman Trophy quarterback, and you hand it off to a five foot seven, 180-pound, probably a 5'2", flat 40 white guy to run the Slade Cat and we haven't done that in like two or three years. And the only reason it worked because Landon Dickerson was playing center and you had Alex Leatherwood and, and Neil on the other side of that offensive line. Like to me, that was the that was it. That was the breaking point. That was when everybody should have said, you know what? This dude kills everything he touches. He ran to Sean Watson and the Texans offense into the ground the last couple of years that he was there. And who knows what Deshaun Deshaun Watson may not be in jail for 30 to life right now. Phil O'Brien would have gave him uh, a better offense to run in Houston. But, dude, it, it doesn't make any sense. Lester's right. You, what you're doing doesn't make sense. 
And at what point this year did Bill O'Brien figure out that he didn't have a good offensive line? Surely he did not go against Will Anderson. Here's my thought process. They were getting their ass beat by Chris Allen, Will Anderson, and they were like, okay, everybody's going to get their ass beat by these guys. It's not just us. And maybe these guys are actually okay. But, man, they're not good. They ain't been good all year. Hell, the only thing that made me not as worried about the offensive line as I possibly could have been is that Evan Neal was whipping too. And he hadn't whiffed all year. He still hasn't given up a sack all year. So when he missed a few times, I was like, maybe maybe it's not just everybody up front in this game. Maybe it is something else that the average Joe can't see. But, man, get Slade Bolden out of the game. I mean, it, it doesn't make sense. Let's right, you know, it doesn't make sense when you have Ja'Cory Brooks, JoJo Earl, Trayshawn Holden, Ajayi Hall, Javon Baker, Tyoo Jones-Bell. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't make sense. I got a question. I got a question. Um, why isn't Saban playing these young guys? Is it because of practice or whatever, yada, yada, yada? Well, what are you going to do, Saban, when those guys get hurt? What are you going to do? You're going to pull some guy out the stands to play because you're just holding it against these guys that they're just yeah. not performing their practice? Like, what are you going to do? Like, they're going to have to play at some point. Play them. Play them. Dude, Lester, we talked about this for a decade. That's what he does. Like, and whenever they do, whenever they do play, they you know, and whether it's in a garbage time or whatever, they don't get the reps they need. I mean, you can't get good reps in offensive linemen. You can't get communication reps as an offensive lineman whenever it's second and nine and the team's bringing eight guys because they know you're not throwing and they're just trying to get a, a turnover to cut the lead to 35 points. I mean, you know, you know how it is. Dude, I, man, hire me. I'll do it. I mean, Look, we play New we play New Mexico State next week. Let me get my feet up under me, you know. Let me pull out my NCAA. Um, what, what was that? What was the last one I made? 13, 14, dude, you whatever. You went Maryland die and and put on Chew Claw, dude. You had the worst yeah. offense ever. You are you are yeah. the worst PlayStation offensive minded player ever. And you know what, my buddy Davis, listen, is probably going to start dying because I use that same playbook against him. Yeah. But look, look, look. I will pull out some crap. That B.O.B. ain't never thought of before, and we'd have a rolling, baby. We'd have a rolling because I would realize what I'm working with, which is a team full of five stars who should dominate on the field, and they're just not doing that. They're not doing that. They're not doing that. But, Chase, you brought up a good point. All the streaks that Alabama had going on, they're dead. The assistant streak, the 30 points. Streak, all that's gone now. I He's getting rid of it all in one year. Yeah, unranked teams. Yeah, unranked teams. Saban's the happiest guy in America right now. He got to he got to a hundred, and he said, "Screw it." Yeah, I'm up with it. Yep, kill it. it. I mean, dude, you know, one of the last things I want to say about it, and then, you know, if y'all want to, uh, y'all can chime in. Um, but I'm ready to move on to basketball talk. Is you know, when you throw as a quarterback, and I, and I never play quarterback, but I talk to some who have, and whenever you get used to throwing to a guy in practice or, you know, seven or skeleton drills, whatever it is, or even in the game, you know, all that combined, you tend to look for that guy. I mean, when, when Tom Brady drops back, who's he looking for? He's looking for Gronk because he's been throwing to the dude for a decade. You know what I'm saying? But in, I mean, in, you know, not necessarily on that level, but I'm a firm believer. You might not beat Auburn with two receivers. You're definitely not going to beat Georgia with two receivers. And right now, Bryce is looking at read number one and read number two. Yeah, I know a lot of the time that's all he has time to make. But if those two aren't there, he's gone. And you play a team that can stop the scramble and cover two guys, Alabama might get shut out. If they're going to run the ball like they did Saturday night, you can't rely on Jamison Williams and John Mechie alone against good defenses. I'm not saying Auburn's a good defense, but over there, they're going to have a good defense when you play Alabama. I promise you. They always do. Um, and, you know, especially Georgia. If you, if you squeak past Auburn, that defense is elite over there. So, I'm a firm believer. You've got to have a, you got to have a third guy at minimum. Now, we would all love for the tight ends to get their head out of their ass. Nobody knows what happened to 19. He was a stud last year. Everybody projected him as one of the top tight ends 
off the board uh, coming into the or this year's NFL drafts. And, uh, you know, you had Cameron Latu, who had a, had a big spring, caught a long touchdown in the A-Day game, had a really good fall camp. Season starts, catches a touchdown against Miami, disappears. Nobody knows where the hell he is. He's playing like ass. Can't catch the ball. Um, when he does, he's going to fumble it, whatever, you know. So you've got to have at least three playmakers. Um, if not four, four would be great, but I'll take three. You cannot have two. And Alabama's proven they're not going to throw to the running backs as much as they need to because I think Roy Dale Williams could also be a playmaker out of the backfield. Hey, you're going to bring seven. I'm just going to float it to the running back and let him do work in the open space. I don't think there's anybody, any linebacker in the SEC that can tackle Brian Robinson or Roy Dale Williams in open space. It's very hard to do. These backs are super fast, super quick nowadays. Um, so getting back to my point, I get a little long-winded there, but – Trayshawn Holden and the relationship he has with Bryce Young. You know, they're both from California. They played a lot of seven-on-sevens together in California. Trayshawn Holden's been tweeting the videos for like the last couple of weeks of him connecting or Bryce connecting with him in seven-on-sevens. I mean, their, their relationship is there. The bond is there. He's used to throwing to Trayshawn. That needs to be your number three guy. If you replace Slade Bolden with Trayshawn Holden, Bryce will look for him. He'll make it a point to look for him. Now, I'm not saying Trayshawn's going to go off and be one of the best receivers ever to come through Alabama because I, I, I don't believe that. But to complement what Jamison Williams and John Mechie are doing, it would, it would be a tremendous boost to the offense. If you can get a third receiver involved, and then who knows, you know, maybe Latu and Billingsley can catch a couple of touchdowns here. And now all of a sudden, even though you have a bad offensive line, You've got three guys you can throw it to, and it makes it that much harder for a defense. But, hey, you know, we're going to go get the quarterback here. Don't worry about the tight ends. They can't catch. They're going to lead the running back in to protect. You don't have to worry about him. Just cover one and cover eight. We're good. Don't worry. Damn sure don't worry about 18. Um, somebody go stand around him or whatever. He's going to be a check down. If he catches it, just go tackle him for a four-yard gain. Um, that's what people – that's what teams have done all year. But if you got a third guy that can just make a little do a little head fake on a slant and take that joker 20 yards like Trayshawn did against Mississippi State, that's a, that, that, that adds a whole new dynamic to your offense. That's just like Bryce learning how to use his legs. That adds another dynamic. And I think that's something that can be huge for this, for this offense. Um, but you know, that's my final take on LSU and what needs to change with Alabama. You know, we're kind of beating a dead horse here every single week. It's the same. It's, it's, it's the receivers. It's the offensive line. It's the busted coverages. You know, we're just we're just beating a dead horse. So anything you guys want to add? Basketball uh, season, baby. This team has no killer instinct. Ed Ordron stomped on your field two years ago, and half the team was still there, and they couldn't give less of a crap about it. So they don't have any killer instinct. It just is on this at this point. So, I mean, Lester, I mean, I, I, I got to ask, dude, like Alabama is number two. And like I said earlier, they, they haven't looked great. I'll give you that. But they've also looked like the second best team in college football. Maybe not Saturday, like I said earlier. But overall this season, they are playing like the second best team in college football. Is that a statement that you agree with? Now, I understand that, you know, your expectation level is unrealistic, so to speak. And, uh, you know, you expect to never catch a pass or never drop a pass. Um, every run should be for 30-plus yards. You know what I'm saying? So your, your expectations are a little bit high. But do you not think that this team, you know, I mean, maybe, maybe not right now, but you still got three weeks, two weeks that you play Auburn. But do you not think this team's the second-best team in the country right now? They are top, top three for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, talented, no doubt. Um, still in the national title hunt, no doubt. But execution-wise, and coaching, and play calling, I don't, I can't, I can't, I can't ride with it right now. But sure, this team is good. They beat Auburn. They're gonna go face Georgia, and you know, I, I think they can beat Georgia with a great game. You just, you just hate to see teams who just play to their competition. You know what I mean? Because that's how you get beat. You know, you think this team isn't good. You think, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever about this team. And they come in and they, they beat your tail. So, you know, I just, I just want to see better execution. 
going forward. And I guess it's like, you know, real quick, then we'll move on to basketball. But Lester, I think it's like teams we've had in the past where we can see, hey, this is the issue, this is the issue, this is the issue, when everybody can see it. And like we talked about, the coaches that are getting paid millions of dollars cannot fix it. They're not good enough to fix it. I'm not saying that we are, but I mean, hell, I give it my best shot. But, um, you, you know, and that ends up being the downfall of the season. You know what I'm saying? So I understand that maybe you and J-Lo are kind of setting yourself up to whenever we do get put out, whether it's out of the playoff by Auburn or um, get beat by Georgia in the SC championship game, it's going to be because of a busted coverage or O-line play or, you know, them bracketing uh, Jamison and Mechie. We had nobody else that can get open. So I kind of see what you're doing there. It, I mean, it makes sense. I, you can easily see this being the downfall. One of these issues or all the issues can be the downfall of Alabama's season in 2021. That's fair. That's fair. Um, don't not looking forward to it. Don't want to see it. I hope this team goes all the way. They have the talent to, but there's just some glaring issues that you know have been needed to have been fixed, and they haven't been addressed, in my opinion. Alabama basketball taking on Louisiana Tech, projected to finish first in the conference USA. This is no scrub team, and uh, Alabama an eleven and a half point favorite. I believe Alabama was projected third in the SEC, fourth. I can't, cannot remember. Um, but uh, you know, they 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 started they started you know a, a little bit chilly, but uh, then warmed up real quick. Jaden Shackford hit a couple of threes, and then I think they were up seventeen. Uh, no, can't remember what they were up at the half. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, ended up winning the game ninety three to sixty four. Um, actually turned into an ass whip and Kenny Lofton um, actually went out of the game with cramps the big, the big boy I mean, everybody watched the game songs about six seven about 275 maybe he could have played some right tackle and some center for Alabama um, maybe they just kept him on campus and put some pads on him on, on, on Saturday but uh you know Jay law initial thoughts from the team I mean you had a, a lot of new faces um maybe you know maybe not on the roster, but definitely to the starting lineup. You know, Keon Ellis um, is one that entered. But, you know, you got new guys, you know, Betty Ako, J.D., Noah Gurley, the transfer from Furman. Um, and then, you know, Darius Miles that, that was on the roster last year, didn't log a lot of minutes. Jawan Gary um, taking on a bigger role this year. Uh, so just just talk about talk about the game as a whole and what showed out to you offensive, defensively, whatever you got. I'll turn the floor over to you. It looks like Alabama has guys that can play defense. I mean, they, they're long. They look like a basketball team. Under NATO's first probably two years, they always didn't, like, look like a, a basketball team. Like, you think that this team could go win a national championship or looking at them, this team looks like they could go to a Final Four. Man, Betty Ako, Gurley, Gary, man, these guys are long. They're physical. They'll play you in the paint. They'll go up. They'll swat shots. We saw that a couple times last night from Jawan Gary, who probably shouldn't shoot the three ball as much, although NATO says shoot it when you're open. I get it, coach. But this guy, man, he's hit the side of the backboard. Bad look at Josh. But if Alabama could play defensively the way they just played against a team that was expected to win their conference and have guys like Keon Ellis and Shaq and JQ and Davidson fill it up on the offensive side. I'm not talking, you know, thinking that Keon Ellis is going to do what he did last night every game or Shaq. You know, that's not always going to happen. But I'm telling you, if they can put some things together, um, it's to stay a little more consistent because they're not a live by the three, die by the three. They shoot a lot of threes. They're going to make a lot of threes. But if they can get it done on the defensive end, they can kind of take that stigma away and this team can go a long way. Yeah, I think that's the difference is, you know, the last couple of years you've had Herb Jones, a great defender, and then, you know, you've got some okay ones. Uh, Shaq was, has never been great on defense. Petty, I think, got better as he got older. Um, his best defensive year was last year. Um, but, yeah, you know, you look at Gurley and the way they defend the ball screen outside the arc. Um, Betty Ako is so long inside, really going to help on the boards, some of those big big guys in SEC play. Uh but I think rebounding is a key for this team because you got a guy like Keon Ellis, and he's not the biggest guy. He's only about 6'5", but he's going to rebound like he's 6'8". And uh, he's going to get great positioning, and um, he's going to elevate for the ball. He does a really, really good job. He uh, he had nine rebounds last night, only outdone by Jawan Gary, 
who had 10, who's still an undersized forward. But what I like about this Alabama team is they start off with Betty Ako, who's 6'10", and uh, Gurley, who's, you know, 6'9", 6'10". They started off with a bigger lineup. But those two big guys both played less than half the game. You had, uh, I think, Bediaco with 19 minutes and Gurley with 11, or maybe those were switched. One of them played 11, one of them played 19. I can't remember exactly. I don't have the box score in front of me. But Alabama tended to go with a smaller lineup. And I think that's what's so effective is you've got guys that can defend multiple positions. You know, you go with somebody like Jawan Gary. I think he can guard anybody. You know, Oates said last night in his uh, – in his post-game presser that, you know, he said Gary can guard the three and four spots, maybe even a two, um, you know, Darius Miles with his length, he can guard a two, three, four. Um, so you, you don't technically need the twin tower, so to speak, to, to be in the game at the same time. Alabama went with a smaller lineup, whether, you know, it was Gary and Miles on the floor at the same time or, uh, you know, they, they did a different, you know, Keon Ambrose Hilton logged seven minutes, so he helped a little bit. But, you know, they played that smaller lineup, and I thought that was way more effective. Lester, um, you know, we've seen what Alabama was doing recruiting-wise. Uh, they, they said these kids want to come play in the system, and you saw it last night. Alabama's going to push the ball at the floor. I mean, dude, it's late in the game. It's like five minutes to go. And it might have been JD or Q or somebody doesn't sprint up the floor after a made basket. And you see Nate Oates just throwing his arm, you know, completely yelling at him, let's go, let's get up the floor. He wants to push the ball for 40 minutes. And uh, he wants, he wants to, you know, he wants to shoot trays. He wants to get layups and transition. He wants to get and ones, everything but the mid range. So talk about how Alabama was to execute that last night. And uh, talk about JD, man. I mean, this is a dude, you know, Calhoun represent, um, an in-state kid, one of the top players in the country coming in. He didn't disappoint. He actually played more minutes than I thought he would. I thought he would log about 20. He ended up getting 26, 12.6 rebounds, five assists. He did a little bit of everything, and he did everything well. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. Game one. I mean, I don't care who you are. You know, your first college game, home crowd, 12, 13,000 people there. You know, you're going to have a little, little, maybe a little nervous bug. But how is this guy going to play going forward, man? He gets more comfortable, you know, gets more comfortable in his, in his role. I mean, coming out, jamming on that guy. Then that corner three just wet, and the crowd goes crazy. I'm looking forward to seeing more of that, more of JD, man. He's going to be really fun. Um, enjoy him for this year, guys, because, you know, he could put an obsess like that. That guy's going to be a you know, top half of the draft. I mean, he he's that damn good, and I'm glad he's in Crimson, man. Um, this team's gonna be so fun. This the team is deep. When when not <laughs> not one time that I look up to see who's checked in the game and go, oh shit, here comes this guy again. You know what I mean? Not one time that I do that. I can't say in any time that I've been watching the Alabama basketball. So that hasn't happened. Everybody who came in, I'm like, okay, this guy can contribute. He can defend. He can rebound. He can shoot. I'm excited to see this guy play basketball. And that's just a crazy Oats, man. He's built out a, a deep roster. You know, you need a breather. Hey, we got a guy. We got you back. We got you. So this guy, this guy, this team, you know, they're hungry. They're greedy. They want it. They'll take it. And and I think they're going to make a lot of noise in the NCAA tournament this year. J-Law, dude, it's so nice. Like what Lester's talking about, so nice to not see John Petty on the floor and Alex Reese and Herb Jones to an extent. I mean, Herb's a great defender, you know, SEC player of the year. I know, but he still didn't hit a three in like his last 10 games or something like that. I, I don't know, but I guess I'm being a little bit too petty. Get it? But, you know, the Avery Johnson era is officially over. You know, we got through the Anthony Grant, and now it's Nate Oates, man. And what the guy's doing, not only with the products he has on the floor now, but the guys he's bringing in, he's making us better. And Alabama basketball, with the recruiting class they're bringing in, third overall in the country, they're not going anywhere. And speaking of the one-and-dones, what's crazy is, I mean, I mean, guys like J.D. Davidson don't stay in college for more than one year. It's kind of like – I mean, you see guys that tear their – I think Nerland's Noel played like 10 games or something in Kentucky, tore his ACL, and still went like in the lottery. 
Uh, he only played like 10 college games. I mean, it's, it's already like predetermined just by their high school ranking that, uh, that they're going to be a, a lottery pick in, in the following draft or the, the draft two years from then uh, after their freshman year in college. So J.D. gets there, and as good as he is, you're looking at the roster, you're like, where are you going to put him? And this is also with Namari Burnett going down, tearing his ACL preseason. He's out for the year. Where are you going to put him? You got Javon Quinterly, who is uh, the SEC tournament MVP last year, and what he did in his last 15 games was phenomenal. You got Jaden Shackelford, <coughs> excuse me, who could potentially be a first-round pick this year if he learns how to, you know, handle the ball and finish at the rim. But what he does shooting the ball is fantastic. And you got Keon Ellis, who Nate Oates said was the best two-way player in the SEC. He said, you guys are going to find that out. We got a little taste of it, you know, Tuesday night. So if you look and you're like, dude, where's JD going to play? Is this, I mean, you're, are you looking at a guy that's going to average anywhere from 20 to 28 minutes all season and then go pro a la Josh Primo? Yeah, man, I was really impressed. I didn't think we were, when he came off the bench as early as he did, I was thinking, okay. This is the deal. Nate Oates told him when you recruited him, he was going to play early in the first game, and they're going to trot him out there. But, man, the guy came out there ready to play. And for J.D., man, how how good is it for him not to be some of these high-caliber recruits that go to a, a team with no talent so they when they come in, dude, everybody's fixated on you. And J.D. rolls onto this team that has talent, that has proven shooters. I mean, he's on the floor with J.Q., I think one time he was on with Shaq and Keon. That was a little bit that that lineup was pretty deadly. But it comes in and it makes it easier for him, right? That you just can't look. All right, we got to stop JD. Yeah, you can't. You got to cover Shaq. And how big was getting Shaq back out of the portal, especially with Burnett getting hurt? I know when Shaq went to the portal, we all said no, he didn't play that great uh, down the stretch a little bit. A lot of turnovers in the tournament, but. Man, you cannot make up for a guy who's going to shoot like that, be on the arc, off the catch. I mean, if he can if he can keep that up relative, you know, it's just going to be tough to do it as well as he did it the other night. But, man, if he could shoot 37% from deep this year, Shaq's going to have a hell of a year. Keon Ellis, we, we knew he was a good defensive player, but if he can continue to light it up like he did, and that just brings out the best in everybody else. Like, who are you? who is your focal point? Um, as a defense, when you have to guard five guys like that on the floor at one time, it's so tough to stop. And Nate Oates, yeah, he might have a one-and-done in J.D. Davidson. But, man, if you have two one-and-dones and three juniors on the floor, man, that is a recipe for a Final Four, lead Eight type of year. And I think after one game, maybe a complete overreaction. But I would not be surprised if Alabama was, again, the, at least the SEC regular season champion. And wins and wins a couple games in the tournament. They, they definitely have the talent to do it. You know, if a ball rolls a different way uh, against UCLA in overtime, they they still might be playing. Yeah, or if Alex Reese doesn't botch two free throws on like the first possession or something. But anyway, I ain't talking about Alex Reese. He's not going to ruin. He's not going to ruin my night for me. Um, but you know, one one good thing, Jayla, I want to stay with you about. You know, last year Keon, I think he was good. Uh, I don't think he was elite by any means. Um, I'm not ready to say that he's a bona fide first-round pick this year. He did have a good game, and you did hear a lot of good stuff about him preseason from the coaching staff. But, um, you you know, the good thing about it is we all know Shaq will go ice cold sometimes, and he's a shooter. He's you got to shoot yourself out of the slump. I don't disagree with that. Um, his bad shots are good shots for him. He's a trash shooter from the arc. You know, those quick catch and releases, that's, that's ones that he's made more times than he's going to miss. <clears throat> so you don't really mind him taking those shots, but he will go through a stretch where he's 0 for 8, 0 for 7, you know, 1 for 9. And the good thing about having a guy like J.D. is that if he's having a game like that, you can recognize it early. Like in the uh, in the exhibition game, uh, he had a, just a terrible – I think he had like four points. It was like 10% from deep or something like that. But he shot like eight, nine times. And uh, the dude's not going to stop shooting because that's what he is. He is a shooter. And uh, the good thing about this year's team is that if that's to happen, you've got a guy like J.D. who you can put in there, run him and Q on the court at the same time and uh, and not have that much of a drop-off, if any. Uh, I think J.D. gives you more explosiveness off the dribble. He's more of a threat as, a, as an all-around scorer. Um, so 
I think that's the biggest thing about what JD adds to this roster. Even if he is going to come off the bench, you know, if you have a guy and maybe not Shaq, you know, maybe Q or even Keon. And I'm not saying Keon's going to go all year without a bad game. He's going to have them. And uh, Q's going to have his bad ones too. He had them early last year. We had five, six turnovers. And we're like, guys, get him off the floor. But who are you going to put out there? You didn't really have the guard depth, especially the a guy that handles the ball well enough to run the offense. Um, so, you know, I mean, gosh, Herb was point forward most of the time last year. But anyway, uh, I think that's one thing that J.D. adds is, that people aren't talking about is a depth at that one and two guard slot that uh, if they're having a bad game, then you can get them out. You can turn over to J.D. And not saying J.D. won't have his two, but you got less of a chance of two guys having a bad game than one. Uh, but, you know, Lester, Alabama shoots 50% from two, right around their average last year. They're around 49%. Uh, 39% from the, from the, from three point land. But thing is, if you look at, uh, at Noah Gurley, which I believe I, that's probably the worst we're going to see Noah Gurley play. You talk about butterflies, you come from Furman, you never, you know, of course he played in the arena last year, but you know, you play, you're playing for a different team. There's a lot more people on your side than against you like that were last year. Um, you know, you're playing the hero, not the villain, so to speak. So I believe that that's probably the worst game you're going to see from Gurley this year. Now, I could be wrong, but I believe that's going to be the worst game that uh, that you see from Gurley. So John Gary, 0, 0 for 3 from deep, and then Gurley, 1 out of 4. Those two com- or combined 1 out of 7, and um, I don't think it's much of an argument that those are probably the two guys on your team that you do not want to see taking three-point shots. Um, so if they don't take any three-point shots, all of a sudden you're shooting 40, 46% from deep. Let's just, it's something that we brought up last year. You know, you shoot 33 34% from deep, 50% from two, and, you know, make your free throws. With the way you play defense, you're, I'm not going to say you're unbeatable, but you're very tough to beat. So with the depth that Alabama has and with guys like J.D., and Darius Miles, who, by the way, did not miss last night. Very impressive. He was four for four from the field, three for three from deep. That's the guy that should be taking three-point shots. Um, you know, Juwan Gary, you know, I mean, did I say J.D.? Uh, but anyway, <clears throat> with more depth than you've had, especially the guard position, um, what do you expect to see from Alabama shooting-wise this year? Do you think those numbers can increase from last year when you had dead eyes like John Petty? Um, I don't know about increasing but definitely more consistent you know we talked about if you know it sets us as an off night or yada 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 we didn't necessarily have the guys behind them to continue to fill it up you know what I mean and I think this year we do we finally we finally got that we finally got that we finally got that so I think I think the numbers are going to be really really good Really, really good. Um, last night was a really good shooting night, and I think we'll see more good shooting night than bad nights for sure. Um, I would love to see the free throw numbers get up. Let's get that around, you know, 75% over 70 or 69. I think they shot 69 last night. Let's get that number up, and then, man, that's a recipe for success. That's that's an unbeatable team. If you if you put up those numbers and you get beat by another team, then you got to give kudos. That's uh, You just played another badass team, you know what I mean? So. Yeah, I'm looking forward to really good, really consistent basketball from this team for sure. Jay Law, you, you get past La Tech. You got another very good mid-major coming up in South Dakota State. Rolling into Coleman Coliseum, 7 o'clock on Friday night. Um, like I said, very good team, man. Uh, they just beat uh, Bradley, I believe who so it was. Landon uh, Beeman sent me some information about them. He's a college basketball guru. Um, then, you, you know, you play South Alabama – Oakland, and then you got the the Invitational, you know, with Iona, and then you know you've got Gonzaga, Houston, Memphis. Uh, you, you've got a one of the toughest non conference schedules in the country. Uh, what what where does Alabama need to be heading into SEC play? And uh, I guess you can kind of give a prediction, so to speak. Where do, where do you think they're sitting once they start SEC play on December 29th against Tennessee? Um, do you think they're maybe slightly above 500? Do you think they can kind of roll through this non-conference schedule? Nobody's expecting them to go undefeated, but or do you maybe expect them to have a losing record? It's, it's a really tough non-con 
tell me what you think about this non-conference schedule and, and what do you expect from the Tide? Yeah, tough draw, but I also thought last night, man, was a tough test. Uh, that was a good team that Alabama went up against. And they almost got a 30-point dub while only favored by 11 and a half. They have a great chance to, I think, if I looked at the schedule right, to be 6-0, and 7-0 and going into the Gonzaga matchup. I'd like them to win one of those big three to start the year. Of course, you have Baylor right in the middle of the conference slate in the big uh, Big 12 SEC uh, little tournament challenge they do, whatever. But the if you can win one of the three between Gonzaga, Memphis, or Houston, man, Alabama could be sitting well over 500 going into conference play. And the conference play doesn't even start off easy, guys. Your first matchup, December 29th, Tennessee. Luckily, that one's at Coleman. But, you know, if Alabama can roll in to the conference play, maybe three losses at the most. You know, I still I still think that a lot of those games are winnable. You tell me teams that better than Alabama in their non-conference play before conference uh, play starts, uh, you, you might just pick Memphis, Houston, Gonzaga, or potential teams that they should at least have a chance to lose to. So, man, if they win one out of those three, man, they are sitting in a very good spot with some quality wins already under your belt before you hit conference play. And we know how important that is when they when they get it going. Lester, uh, leading scorer and rebounder for the Tide this year. Predict it. I want, to give, give, I want you to give me a prediction. Who's going to lead the Tide in scoring and who's going to lead them in rebounds this year? Scoring, I'll say – wow. Um, scoring, I'll say Shaq. And leading rebounder, I'll say Keon Ellis, for sure. Um, you, uh, I don't know if you said on the pod yet, but and the reason why I'm going to say that about Shaq is because for Jaden Shaq, for all you said, get stop him from dribbling. He's a spot up shooter. Stop him from dribbling. And buddy, I don't think he took very many dribbles, and he lit it up the other night. Um, that is his recipe for success. I hope he knows that. Oates knows that. Um, but if he can just be a spot-up shooter, just let him get to his spot, whether it's the three, whether it's the you know the corner three or wherever his favorite spot is, give it to him when he's open, and, buddy, he's going to let it fly. He's going to fill it up. Um, and, yeah, Ellis is a dog, man. I think he's going to be the leading shooter. He's going to be the leading rebounder. And, you know, you don't have to be the, the tallest guy or the biggest guy to get rebounds. It's all about want to. And I believe that that guy wants to get the ball. So uh, that's going to be my two predictions for those. Yeah, and those are really good picks. And, and you know, goes back to what I said about Shaq last year when I just harped on and harped on and harped on. Know your identity. Know, know what you do best and what you do not do best. You know, last night Shaq tried to attack early and uh, didn't work out for him. So he's like, I'm just going to catch and shoot. And then I think he hit two or three threes in a row. And um, and then that opened up the dribble drive form, you know, in the fast break, if you want to drive it, go ahead. Um, <clears throat> but know what got you here, basically. And that is your shooting ability. That's what got you on the all freshman team. That's what got you on the all SEC team. Nobody was breaking down that stuff. And was like, I want Shaq on the all SEC team because of his dribble drive ability. Not one person said that because they said because he's the best sharp shooter in the damn league. And uh, so do what you do best. You know, I texted y'all last night, Gary. Be a hustle guy. Be a role player. Don't shoot threes. <clears throat> Gurley, don't shoot threes. Uh, JD, Q, Keon, do what you want to because you do everything well. You know, so there's 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 less players this year that have to kind of tone down their roles more than last year. You see what I'm saying? This year, really only got three guys. Gary, don't shoot. Chat, don't dribble. And then Gurley, you know, we'll, we'll see how he kind of plays out. That's my early assumption is that maybe he shouldn't be shooting threes. But – you never know, he might he might start to knock him down, and that completely changes my mind on that. But, you know, and another thing, Lester, Shaq's going to shoot the ball more than anybody else. I mean, you look at last night, he shot he shot the ball 10 times, and I think the next highest was – now, I'm sorry, that was just threes. He shot the ball 15 times. The next highest was Gary shot the ball 10 times? Good Lord. If he doesn't shoot any threes, he's six out of seven. But anyway – um, so Shaq's going to shoot the ball more than anybody else. I guess you kind of have to pick him as a leading scorer. Um, unless Q goes on one of those crazy runs like he did last year, it could easily be him. 
Um, but I think you need to get Keon more shots. But, yeah, I'll go with Shaq. And then uh, rebounder, I know someone's the first game. I'm going to go with Bidiaco. And I, and I know that's an easy pick because he's the tallest guy on the team. But I'm going to I'm gonna guess that he uh, – I'm going to predict that he finds it and he, he ends up being a really good rebounder. You see how long that guy is, man. He can't help but pull down some boards. J-Law, who do you have as a leading scorer and leading rebounder for Alabama in the 2021-2022 season? Man, I was impressed with how Jawan got on the glass last night. I think he did finish the game as the leading rebounder, but man, he's just all over the place. And his offensive efficiency from inside of the arc was pretty dang good. I think, like you said, he would have been six for seven. Um, he looked he looked really good. It's easy to pick Shaq, man, but yeah, you got to go with Shaq. Dude. He he might shoot the ball on average seven more times than anybody else on the team per game. Like the ball is going to be in his hands. The in and out movement that this team is going to want to play with, drive in, dribble, drop, dish. I mean, everything they do is going to be predicated on a three ball. And Shaq's going to log a lot of minutes this year too. So I like Shaq to lead a team in points. All right, guys. I mean, do we? I mean, what else you want to do? Tournament predictions or whatever. Unless you got anything to add, I'm about. I'm about ready to wrap it up, man. What you got? Yeah, man, that's about it. I look for this team to be uh, in a top 10 ranking near you sometime soon, hopefully. Guys, look, it didn't start great. I mean, we had to talk about the LSU game. We got through it. We ended on a really good note with this basketball game. Thank the Lord they blew them out, you know, Tuesday night. But for episode 50, I'm glad we ended on a positive note. So with a happy, with a happy, with happiness in my in my heart and a smile on my face, I can say thank you guys for tuning in. Episode 50, Gump Runners Podcast, Chase Thornton, Lester Mitchell, Jeremy Law, we're out. See you guys.